0: baptism and the Lord's Supper. Are these important? What are the core biblical truths surrounding the two? How are these two ordinances within the church giving us a picture of the gospel of Christ? These are the questions that James and Daniel will answer in today's episode of the Everyday Ministry podcast, where everyday ministers get together to discuss everyday ministry. Are we forgotten?
1: Welcome to another episode of Everyday Ministry Podcast. This is James White and I am sitting here with Daniel Brown. Daniel, how is everything going in Calera, Alabama?
2: Things are good. Things are very good. Super busy. That's kind of a redundant statement these days, but things are going great over here we um have kicked off the fall i just got back from vacation if uh if you are listening to our minister's minute episodes go back and listen to the one on vacations and you'll see why i think that's so important (laughs) the second episode i gave a plug back to that one on so you're welcome but uh had a great time on vacation with my family spent some good quality time there and it was very refreshing now that we're back in Kalira, back in the saddle We are fully geared up and full throttle in the fall season, I guess, if you want to call it that, even though it's still 150 degrees outside here in Alabama. But, man, just doing the ministry thing one day at a time, bro, one day at a time.
1: Man, that's awesome. I got the joy of seeing many of the pictures from vacation, mainly from your wife. I don't guess you took too many pictures on your own.
2: I mean, I did, but I just don't post them a whole lot on Facebook. Yeah. She, m- she posts so much that it's not necessary for both of us to because then it
1: would be annoying. So are you that husband slash father that just shares the, the post of the wife? I don't even share them. You just let it be what it is, Let's huh?
2: Let it be what it is, man. Well, I, I uh, might maybe. give her post a like, Maybe.
1: Maybe. Maybe if it's on Instagram, you don't because you don't have Instagram. So. I don't
2: have Instagram, so yeah,
1: that's why I saw most of them. Uh, and yeah. so I knew you were like, I knew you weren't going to post anything on there, so I was like, well, I'll keep up with them. Uh, from Alice, so there you go. Well, I'll be kind of going on vacation, uh, in September. My wife has a work retreat that she has to go on, so for her, not so much of a vacation, but me and Lottie gets to tag along to Destin. So me and Lottie going to live up on the beach while Sarah works every day. And so at least me and her will enjoy our time uh, much while we're down there. But, yeah, so for me, everything has changed uh, essentially in the last few episodes. Me and Daniel was talking about a little bit beforehand because I thought I had texted and updated him on uh, my situation. Apparently I had not. It's just been a interesting past few weeks for me and for my wife and I. This past Sunday, which would be August the what's that, 25th That's or right. so, I had the opportunity, unfortunately, to uh, let the congregation know about my resignation. And so I will be at Lighthouse for three more weeks. My last Sunday will be the 8th and the last Wednesday will be around the 11th or so, whatever when, however that falls. And I am taking a youth pastor position um, in a city nearby. And so I get to step back into the youth ministry world and transition into that from being a senior pastor of a church plant for the last five years. And so I have a great deal of adjustment and relearning, I guess, per se, uh, that's going to come come up in the next few uh, months of my life. But I think it's going to be good. Feel confident that this is what God would have for my wife and I in this season of our lives and looking forward To join the next church. Unfortunately, though, we are not looking so much to leaving our current church family. We love them dearly and have been with them for five years now. And they essentially have become our family here in Vernon, Alabama for the last five years. Um, really have spent more time with them. Then we have our actual family and so we will miss them dearly but we will still live in the same house and in the same city and all of that so we will still get to see them regularly just not as their pastor and on sunday and wednesdays and so that is what's going on in the life of the whites obviously you just hear daniel and i my daniel and my voice tonight and uh, or morning whenever you may be listening to this and unfortunately none of the other hosts could jump on this episode with us but i am excited though daniel to have you back on another episode of just a normal podcast you've yeah. been a while since it you've has had been, i don't know how
2: long it's been man it's been since before jack was born and yeah, he yeah. Just turned six months old so, yeah, so it's been half a year since i've been on a regular podcast episode
1: if I remember correctly, it was around November, December last time that yeah. you were able to do a whole episode. You might have been one in January, but because of a lot of being born in February, we kind of didn't record a lot of new episodes in the beginning of the year this year. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Allie
2: got home from work today and, and I said something to her about recording and she said, go for it. And so I was like, hook you up. So <laughs> here we are um, getting to getting to jump in and record with you, man. So I'm um, uh, really am excited to get to, to be a part of it. I hate that the other guys aren't a part of it, though, man. I, you know. I know, man. I,
1: I really wish they could be. I understand. You know, that's kind of the nature of everyday ministry, right? You that's know, right. Yeah. That's why you need so many ministry. hosts on this show. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's why there's five of us, because we need at least two of them each week. So, you know, I know like Jamie and Chris are busy uh, with ministry and family things. And Royce was telling us that the August Guns was getting ready to do a debut album show, I guess, this weekend. So um, that sounded fun nonetheless. And so but on this week's episode, as you may have already noticed, we're going to be looking at the seventh article the bath on baptism and lord's supper and before we jump into that conversation we do want to take the opportunity to listen to a commercial for one of the other podcasts that's a part of the christian podcast community
0: are you just watching
1: do you enjoy watching movies
0: the special effects the interesting characters the great stories there's a lot to enjoy that comes out of hollywood But sometimes it's best to approach secular media with a healthy dose of critical thinking. Join me, Eve Franklin. And Tim Martin. As we discuss our favorite movies. And share critical thinking for the entertained Christian. So visit areyoujustwatching.com to subscribe. And don't just watch. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity. And they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise in theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.
1: Striving to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. Well, welcome back, and we just want to encourage you to go over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. We're just one of, I think it's up to about 14 or 15 different podcasts as a part of the community now, wow. um, and there's some that uh, we're looking at adding to the community in the next few weeks and months, and I'm really excited about some of them. Some over, some of them are some that I've been listening to for a few months now that are just fantastic. I just want to encourage you to go check them out. But as we get into the conversation tonight, as we said, we're going to be looking at the Baptist Faith and Message Article 7, Baptism and Lord's Supper. If you have not read that article, I want to encourage you to take the opportunity maybe pause this or uh, pull it up on your phone. Just go to Google, type in BFNM2000, and it'll pull up the SBC website. Really easy for you. Go to Article 7, read through it, and maybe you're not Southern Baptist and you're not familiar with what Baptist Faith and Message is. It's essentially just what we believe is Southern Baptist. Not much you have to do to be a part of Southern Baptist denomination. You have to give to the cooperative program and then hold to this Baptist faith message. And, and so as we've been walking through this, uh, we've just really enjoyed understanding different aspects of what Southern Baptists believe And just kind of, as we've said many, many times, it's really an umbrella statement. Um, Most Orthodox believers are going to, Believe in everything that Baptist faith and message says. There would be few discrepancies for people that are more in a Pentecostal background and things of that such. But overall, everyone can kind of hold on to some of these things. And as we look at this specific article tonight, really see these two ideas of baptism and Lord's supper. And when you look at the article itself, it breaks it up into two separate paragraphs. So Daniel, if you would just read the whole article for us.
2: All right so article 7 on baptism says this christian baptism is the immersion of believer in water in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit it is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified buried and risen savior the believer's death to sin the burial of the old life and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus it is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead being a church ordinance it is prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper
1: we look at this really see this idea it just begins by saying Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water now this is one of the big distinctives of Southern Baptists or Baptists in general, right? Um, because we see these two concepts of immersion and then we also see this idea of a believer. Why do you think that these two things are kind of what separate Southern Baptists or Baptists in general from other denominations, maybe like, you know, Presbyterian or Methodist or even Lutherans and different other denominations out there? Uh, well, that is certainly a touchy subject among. Mm-hmm
2: different denominations of the Christian faith, but we as Southern Baptists do not believe or practice infant baptism, which is what this is clarifying that we do not do. It doesn't say infant baptism, but this is clarifying that it is the immersion of a believer. In other words, a person who has personally chosen to follow Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They have not been... Taken by their parents to the pastor to say, We want to baptize our child. They have not been taken through a class such as uh, confirmation, which the Methodist Church does. They have not been done, they have not done anything of that nature. It is simply this person coming to faith in Christ Jesus. And as a result of the faith that they now have in Christ Jesus, they follow that moment of salvation with believers' baptism.
1: Another aspect of it, though, is this idea of immersion. You know, many other denominations have other modes of baptism. Right. You know, sprinkling or, you know, uh, I guess kind of brushing on of the water. I'm not sure how you word that. And so there's different modes out there of baptism themselves. And Baptists, if you can kind of catch with the name itself, it's really this idea of immersion. It's baptizing by it's really Submersion the whole self into water. You we're really it in at, terms you can call it dunking. Yeah, dunking <laughs> the individual into water. And we're gonna really look at one of the reasons why we hold to that view so strongly. Obviously, we would say that it's really because this is the example of baptism that Christ had for us with John the Baptist baptizing him into the water itself rather than a sprinkling on or anything of that such but i did want to note that this idea of a believer is really significant when we look at the last part of this paragraph where it says being a church ordinance it is a prerequisite of a privilege of church membership and lord's supper this is why in the baptist denomination unlike presbyterian and some of these others where we as individuals we as churches would say that if one has been baptized that they are a church member, so they Mm -hmm. could take of communion then where what we would even see in some of the Presbyterian world is they won't allow children to take of communion until they have actually been converted, though they have already been baptized. And so it's just kind of one of the significance of why this is the case for us in the Southern Baptist world. But I do want to look at this idea and I think this is kind of softball. So I want to throw it to you, Daniel, Uh, not that, you need a softball, but just in general. I've been watching baseball tonight, so I guess I've just been thinking about it, right? Yeah. And it says, um, of the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is it significant that we baptize under this mantra?
2: Well, um, if you look back at the uh, Great Commission, Jesus says, Am I hitting the softball right now? Yeah. Jesus says, uh, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28. Uh, 18 19 20 Um, and so we are literally following through in a very literal form of obedience by Mm -hmm. when we baptize we are telling that believer and we are teaching our congregation as we baptize that believer before them i baptize you my my exact words are i baptize you my brother or my sister in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit um, basically clarifying that, number one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, but that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are also are all God. And therefore, we are baptizing that believer in all three persons of the Trinity, signifying that you are now in a relationship, identifying with all three persons of the Trinity uh, in the way that they operate and, and function within your life and within this universe.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think the maybe another significance of it, too, though, um, and I think the, the softball I was trying to throw to you was that Jesus told us to in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think the other aspect of it, too, though, is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit being three distinct persons of unity has a role in salvation, and so, what we're declaring in baptizing in these three three persons of God is essentially that they were the three that worked salvation in that individual. Some denominations would really just baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit or baptize in the name of the Christ, and I do think it's an, inf- an important emphasis that we put uh, it on all three rather than just one specific one, because you get into that touchy thing of this second baptism of the Holy Spirit and things of that nature So mm.
2: Yeah, and and I would say too that you know so often regarding or depending on what denomination you're listening to or what person ha- what background this person comes from that might be explaining the Trinity, it's easy for us to like you just said get jumbled and confused in this idea of of trinitarian belief. What is it? How does it apply? How does it play into my life? And it's so much better just to look back at what Jesus says, and mm-hmm. when Jesus is saying here in Matthew 28 baptized in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He is making the three persons equal to one another. And therefore, we do not have the right to classify who comes into play in what way. Because in all reality, as much study as former scholars and current scholars have done on the Trinity, and as much uh, scholarly work that we have access to regarding the Trinity, man, we're not scratching the surface on who the Trinity really is besides what Christ has revealed to us and what his word reveals to us. Mm -hmm. And so for him to say baptize in the name of the father, son, Holy spirit is just him saying all three persons are equally valid are equally God Mm -hmm. and are equally important in your life. And all three persons are the one true God. And I think that that takes away a lot of debate, Mm -hmm. um, when he, when he makes that so clear and, and it's just, it's plain black and white right there or red and white, depending on what, what type of Bible you're looking at. But uh, it's, that's, that's all that matters. So uh, moving forward in this statement, the next sentence there is a, it is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried and risen savior. So we'll stop there for just a minute and just kind of, talk about that for just a minute. First off, man, that word obedience, it's an act mm-hmm. of obedience. This is clarifying for us, James, I believe. Um, first off, we know we, we, we believe this in our own lives and we teach this to our people that baptism is not anything special. It do, It's not magical. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make life all of a sudden better when you come out from under that water. nothing, in our world really changes, but is an it is an act of obedience that is symbolizing something. First off, we're being obedient to the example that Christ gives us, mm-hmm. but that it's an act of obedience. Uh, and, and what this clarifies and, and says here is it's symbolizing the believer's faith in the person of Christ. And so it makes it very specific here in this confession, which is great for us to know that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, And that he is a risen Savior, our -hmm. risen Savior, the risen Savior might be a better way to put that. Um, And so clarifying exactly, precisely who he is and what he's done for us. And when I'm baptized, I am identifying with that exact truth of who Jesus is.
1: Yeah, I think that's the significant thing about that is this idea of obedience isn't necessarily meaning that it's a part of our salvation. We're not saved by baptism. And there is a belief of some denominations out there, right? And and the only reason I, I bring that up, not to point out that our denomination may be better or more theologically sound than another, but to simply identify the differences, right? You know, uh, I am saying that because we are, but it's really <laughs> just to identify the differences of the Baptist faith and message with other beliefs out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our baptism isn't a part of our salvation, though it is, something we do in obedience after we have come to Christ and salvation. And I think that's a significant thing to note. And the reason why it's so significant, though, is, as you said, you know, this is really tying this into what Christ has done, right? He was crucified, he was buried, and he is risen again. And so, therefore, that's what our salvation is in, not in anything of ourselves, but only in that. And because of that, we have faith in him, right? which in Romans chapter 6, you see in verse 3, it says, Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Yeah. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. In verse 5, for if we have been United with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his Uh That's why as you walk through the statement it then goes on to say after what you read the believers death to sin the Burial of the old life and the resurrection to walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus because our life in Christ now is completely Related to what he lived and did and died and rose again, conquering so that we could live in him. And that is why baptism is so significant. So though it's not a part of our salvation, it is so, so important that we practice this for new be- new believers. Yeah. That we would baptize them. You know, obviously, we could simply say Jesus told us to, so we do it. Right, But looking at get the heart of why Jesus told us to. Is this right here? Paul is telling the Church of Rome. Is that... This symbolizing exactly what Christ has done for us. And so we're casting off the old man, taking on the new, so that we can now live in Christ Jesus. And it's a very beautiful thing. Unfortunately, I think we haven't made baptism. We haven't highlighted baptism enough. Hmm. Um, I think we see that in a more modern movement where you see hundreds of people being baptized all on the same day. Nothing against that. If you have to do it that way, it's fantastic. And the other thing I've seen, and maybe you've seen the same thing, Daniel, is where you almost just tag a baptism on at the end of the service and you cause the, the person comes up, you shake hands for a brief moment and then nothing else happens. Yeah, the sporadic um, baptism. Yeah. But thinking. baptism Yeah, but baptism is just an amazing, amazing thing that to me you almost would want to center the service around because it's the Old life being shedded off, the new life taken on, and it is the gospel itself. It is that's exactly right. It is the physical
2: representation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's exactly yes. where I was gonna follow up with. And you know, and and I would make this clear too, that in American church culture, this picture of baptism is and no pun intended. I don't mean this to be funny, but it is very watered down. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, what I mean by that is when we talk about if you're talking about baptism in, in a place like North Korea or, or India or you know these, these very highly persecuted countries of Christians, baptism is basically you putting a mark on your back for the whole government to come after you, for, for the people in that community who are the anti-Christian Muslim extremists to come after you, if you identify with Christ in baptism in in a, in a persecuted country or in a country where Christians are persecuted, you, you better be ready for -hmm. what's coming your way because it was in that moment that you just made, you just became public enemy number one against those who are trying to snuff out Christians. And so in our country, in our world, in our, in our way of life here in America, especially here in what we call the Bible belt of, of, you know, or the, excuse me, the the belt buckle of the Bible belt is what I was trying to get at. You, you're you're looking at people who are we stand up and we celebrate and we have get-togethers and parties afterwards and we you know we, hooray and hoorah for the people who get baptized and that's how it should be. But in all reality, we've we've missed what Christ was really doing there by by causing us to identify with Him in baptism in His death, just like what you just read. And in recognizing that this is an act of not just obedience, but an act of true faith that I'm placing my life in your hands because I realize that this this act of faith in baptism might just be the beginning of the end of my life because I might be on the run from this point forward. If I'm living in a, in a country where Christians are persecuted, I might be on the run. And so you got to really count count the costs. In some places in this world before you choose to be baptized whereas here it's just kind of the natural next step and and that's okay i'm not saying that i wish we were persecuted by any means but just it's good for us to have that perspective of what baptism really could mean depending on where you are in this world when it comes to following christ
1: well and we definitely see that in church history as well when Baptists kind of separate from the, the established church, the Catholic churches. That's exactly what happened to many of the believers, is that when they would began to practice this idea of immersion, they were even killed by other Christians. And, you know, that's just a totally different story, a totally different day. You know, exactly what you're getting at there is why this next statement is there. And we're just going to touch on it since you just really expanded on it without even uh, reading it first. It says it is a testimony... To his faith in the final resurrection of the dead this is a baptism is this testimony of our faith that we're putting in christ jesus and that we will one day be resurrected from the dead that our salvation is an eternal salvation we've touched on this before on the purpose of god's grace but our salvation is tied into christ and in christ alone so therefore we cannot lose it and so our baptism is a representation of the salvation we have found in him that we will be resurrected from the dead. Why? Because Christ was. That's so right. our resurrection is not only a spiritual resurrection, but it's also going to be a physical one one day. Yeah.
2: And this is the reason, too, that, that you know, I think that when Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples and baptize them, that he doesn't tell them, baptize them every time they repent of sins again. He just tells them, mm-hmm. baptize them. In other words, we, we see this picture of them only needing to be baptized once and not several mm-hmm. times You don't have to be re-cleaned, right? I mean, and this goes back to even the conversation that that Jesus and Peter had in the upper room when Jesus said, I I need to wash your feet. And Peter said, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my whole body. And Jesus tells him, your whole body doesn't need to be washed. You've already been cleansed, but -hmm. your feet need to be washed, symbolizing that there are times where sin comes back into our life, but there's no reason to be fully cleansed again because the original initial cleansing of of our bodies, our spiritual selves, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was fully sufficient. His, his blood has covered us 100% until the day that we die. But there are still times where we have this sin in our life that needs to be removed again, and that's that ongoing picture of repentance. But we see here that this final resurrection of the dead that we get to look forward to, is not something that we have to reclaim again and again and again. It's something that Christ claimed for us and then gives to us as a gift. and baptism is just that, like you've already said, that beautiful picture of us receiving that gift freely by stepping into the water and coming out clean.
1: Well, and that's why there's this argument always for some people, you know, do I have to be baptized to be saved? Obviously, no. We see accounts in scripture where, uh, and I know the big one that we turn to is the thief on the cross, Christ, says, sure. I'll see you in paradise. He's not baptized, right? It just it didn't happen, right? And so, does one have to be baptized to be saved? Not necessarily. I think there's certain circumstances where they may not be able to be baptized before they die, um, and this is where I may differ from some of my other Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. But I would almost say that there's some circumstances where the practice of sprinkling or something else may be practical. Rather than immersion. Now that would most likely look like a deathbed situation when somebody cannot be baptized, you know, by immersion. Um, that would be the normal practice. Um, but the reason why baptism is so significant is, it's this picture of saying, "I am dying to myself. I am taking up the new life, and now I'm living for Christ." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, to me, it's the simplest form of sharing the gospel as a new believer because you're doing that in front of other believers in a church setting generally. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you're preparing yourself to go into the world, to proclaim the same thing by living the new life and by proclaiming this verbally to those around us. Mm-hmm. But when we get to this last idea, it is being a church ordinance. It is a prerequisite to the privilege of church membership and the Lord's supper. Now, uh, we touched on this a minute ago, but I do want to just emphasize some things and then allow Daniel to speak into it a little bit. I love the wording here where it says the privilege of church membership and Lord's Supper. Now, we're going to touch on Lord's Supper in a moment, and we've already looked at church membership a little bit throughout the Baptist Faith and Message, but both of these things are great privileges to have as believers. Um, we, we must have church membership, and we must have the Lord's Supper. Um, and we've already talked about how baptism the picture of the gospel and the symbol of the gospel a reminder of the gospel so is the lord's supper and we're going to look at that in just a moment but before we do that let's look at this idea um this is prerequisite of church membership now i know traditionally in the Southern baptist world uh when we take somebody into church membership we really have three forms that we accept people uh by church letter meaning that they are coming from another southern baptist church by baptism, meaning that they were saved within that church and they were baptized. And the third was by profession of faith, generally meaning that they're coming from a church that was not a Southern Baptist camp. But because of this, what we also see is that generally, if one hasn't been baptized, they would be baptized as they try to come into church membership. And I, I agree with it to most extent. If it, it should happen. It, it should be a part of our Christian life.
2: Yeah. And, and I think that I would completely agree with you there, too, James. And my reasoning for, for agreeing, because I will say that, that when I first got into ministry and began to attempt to learn these things more clearly and understand them more clearly, besides just, you know, being a good Southern Baptist and saying, um, well, it's just the way we do it. You know, it's in the bylaws. Yeah. Right. Instead of doing that, I began to try to understand it for the real reason that it's there. And the biggest reason is a, because like we've already said, we see that baptism by immersion is following in obedience to, to exactly what Christ did. And Mm -hmm. therefore, when you come to our church, say you're coming by profession of faith, but you're coming from a, another denomination. Well, the reason that we're going to still expect you and require you to be baptized is because what's going to happen before the baptism is a conversation. And that conversation that takes place before the baptism, it's going to start off as a conversation, at least on that person's account, as a conversation about baptism. But what we're going to get to do as ministers is we're going to get to sit down and we're going to get to have a conversation about the gospel. And in having that conversation about the gospel... We're not only going to be just take, receiving you as a member by quote-unquote profession of faith, but now we're going to have a real conversation, and I'm going to get to hear your testimony, and I'm going to get to talk to you about Jesus, and we're going to get to have a common conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ and really make sure that this person that's sitting before me that's coming by profession of faith is truly coming by a real profession of faith and that they're not just playing church. And mm-hmm. that's that's why it's important to me. Because yeah. it presents an opportunity for a conversation.
1: Obviously, that's the case, right? It it gives us this opportunity to ensure that this individual is a believer. Now, hopefully, if that doesn't happen, that conversation still happen before we're accepting somebody in the church membership. Unfortunately, that's not always been the case because there's been random people walk down an aisle, they vote in that moment to accept that person. In terrible practice. Glad most Amen. churches have moved away from it. Um, so glad they've moved away from that. But the other aspect of this, though, is that as we began the conversation off, I kind of want to end with this, is that we put an emphasis on the fact that baptism, Christian baptism specifically, is the immersion of a believer in water. Mm-hmm. And so there may be some that come into church membership uh, in the Southern Baptist world that are coming from different denominations or backgrounds that baptized as infants. Where they were not baptized as believers, they were baptized as you know, they would refer to it as covenant members, right? And so, not as believers. And so, um, it's important if we're going to hold on to this and believe in this to be true, it's important that we have it down to everybody in our church membership That's that right. they were baptized as believers. And I think it's significant that we do so, it's just consistent in our theology and consistent in our. practices of Southern Baptist and so I think that's important now we're not going to go in depth on this Lord's Supper under this setting because we want to move into the next subject and that is the Lord's Supper itself
2: all right so as we move into deeper deeper discussion about the Lord's Supper James is gonna read for us the excerpt from Baptist faith and message regarding the Lord's Supper
1: now all right. so picking back up in article 7 we've walked through the Baptist Uh, baptism portion into the Lord's Supper where it says the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming now once again much shorter than the first one but still very very weighty if you want to be honest and very compact and just very dense in just truth here and so as we look at it first and foremost we see this idea it says it is a symbolic act of obedience we we saw this word once before right um in baptism where it says it is an act of obedience symbolizing so it just same thing just worded slightly different that lord supper much like baptism is an act of obedience that we now as believers practice which is significant for us to understand just as we look at baptism that our practice of communion or Lord's Supper, however you want to refer to that sacrament, does not save us. But it is a practice that we now participate in as believers as we reflect and look forward to the second coming of our Lord and Savior.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, James, I, I wanted to go ahead and just read real quick the, the scripture that, that explains to us, about taking Lord's Supper. It's Matthew 26, 26 through 30. So that just says, real quickly now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Um, and so we know, of course, that Jesus then tells them. And, and this is what we see on on so many of our of the tables that we have in our churches. And this is not quite as common now. It's more of a traditional thing. But for the Lord's Supper table to say on there, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus says to his disciples, as often as you do this, Do it in remembrance of me. And so we see this idea here of doing it on a continuous, ongoing basis. And the reason being so that we can remember what Christ did for us. And we obviously see this idea of remembering, um, which is exactly what the Lord's Supper is about, all through the Old Testament, where they were setting up high places or altars of, of certain types where they would go back to it. And as the people would be traveling and they would see this pile of rocks over here, the kids could ask their parents, hey, mom, dad, what is that over there for? And the parents could say, oh, well, that was put there by our people back when we crossed over the Jordan River, when God parted the river for us or, you know, on and on. There's so many different instances where God told the people to set up some type of of remembrance so that they wouldn't forget about God's faithfulness towards them. And so this is the same thing, the son of God telling his disciples to do just that by taking the bread and taking the wine. This is our way of remembering exactly what Christ has done for us so that we may have salvation and and ultimately eternal life with him.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, that's why, so in the Southern world, we don't put, a restriction on how often to partake in the Lord's Supper. Right. Because in as the scripture you read, and then we look at Paul's explanation to the Church of Corinth, it just says, do this as often. It doesn't explain how often or do, it just says do often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so many backgrounds, not necessarily denominations, but just many backgrounds and camps and things of the such, practice it weekly or monthly or quarterly or special occasions or some, some wouldn't practice it at all would argue that they're not a church if they don't practice it. But anyway, it's another conversation for a different day. But what we see in this, though, is this is why for me as an individual, I have no issue if I was a part of a church practicing this weekend and week out, because it is a beautiful, 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 not only picture of the gospel, but a reminder of the gospel and taking and feasting on the body and the blood of Christ. Not Physically, of course, but yeah. figuratively, and yeah. a reminder of the sin that He took for my behalf, so that I could come to Him in salvation. And so, this is why, like the Lord's Supper for me, I know so often when you hear when you address this in a, in a service and things of the such, that there's always this big emphasis on the the harsh reality of doing it with unconfessed sin and all of that. I think that should it has its right place. I think we should. Explain that rightly to our congregations, but I think we so often think of it so much as this. We got to be made right
2: before we can take
1: it. Yeah, and that we do this this such a reverence that it makes communion itself something that it ought not be, because in all reality, we're all approaching the table with unworthy manners. Right? Mm-hmm. We're all approaching it with some kind of sin in our lives maybe not unconfessed sin, right? But I think that it. It in itself should be a reminder of the sin in our lives. And that's why we're confessing our sins, not because we lived in habitual sin the moment before we came into the church. And now that we uh, are approaching the table, we we confess that sin so that we don't die like Ananias and Sapphira did. right? Right. Not because of that, but because the reality of our sin is setting in. As we reflect on this, you know, as it says, the bread representing body and the fruit of the vine, which I love the wording there because it leaves some leeway for those that practice grape juice and those that practice wine, it doesn't say one or the other. And so I, I love the wording there, but it is this beautiful reminder of what Christ has done for us and what he has accomplished for us.
2: It's to James, you know, when and, and it's just really just to piggyback on what you just said. I think that the wording in the statement here, that that it is to memorialize the death of the Redeemer. If we're understanding what that statement is truly saying, then we will also be thinking about why did the Redeemer die? It's so that he Mm -hmm. could pay the price that we couldn't pay for our sins. And so every time we go, we come to the table. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a remembrance or a memorialization of the thing that he did that we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And so every time we think about that, I'm remembering that the sin that I have mm-hmm. confessed or unconfessed is only forgiven mm-hmm. by Christ and what he's done on the cross.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So That's it, why. It's not
2: something that I have to come and make myself perfect, man. Do you know how many sins I have in my life that are so deeply hidden, even from my own consciousness, that until Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit reveals it to me, I can't do anything about it besides just continue to say, Lord, reveal my sin so that I can confess it. And as long as I'm coming to the table with that type of heart, with a broken and contrite heart over my sinfulness and over the simple fact that I need a Redeemer and a Savior, if I'm coming to the table with that mentality, man, come on.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's what's so so amazing about, Communion itself and I know they use the Lord's Supper here, but I just prefer the communion uh, I just like that wording better. Uh, we can call it what we want. It, it doesn't matter one way or another um, In those two wordings, but I just I love, I love the Lord's Supper. I love the Preparation of it. I love presenting it. I love reading the scripture about it. I love the singing afterwards I, I love every aspect of this because it is the gospel itself and not only that as you mentioned earlier it goes so far back in our history as God's people that we even see this in the moment. Uh, and really that's what's so significant about it, right? Is that Christ, when he institutes this, what does he do? So he takes the opportunity to reflect on the Passover, reflect on this moment that was looking forward to Christ. Yep. And that's what we also do when we take communion, right? We're looking forward to Christ, his second coming.
2: I mean, it Not is just his verse. dripping. Huh? dripping with the gospel man
1: dude i know and i love it and that's why that's it's just i understand why some people feel like they couldn't do it weekly i understand it i i I disagree with them i understand where they're coming from but that's why i would have no reservation at all doing this weekend and week out because to me it is almost more amazing than singing of god's glory because it is the exact imprint of what he did for us and what he implemented for us as a reminder. And we literally feast on that each week if we practice it each week. Yeah. Um and you don't have well, to I will, don't have I to. kind of you know say
2: this as you know sort of a form of debate for those who say that we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper every week. You know, how often do we tithe?
1: How, sing how Read often, the word, pray. How, exactly of the preaching of God's word exactly the only sacrament that i think that the sacrament and element of worship i think should really only do on occasions is baptism but how glorious and how happy would we be if we had a baptism every week man we i'm being extended
2: but when i if I, if we have somebody in our church that's, that needs to be baptized we don't wait until we have several somebody's man we'll we'll fill that bad boy up once for for one person a week if we have to it don't matter don't matter That's
1: because it's a glorious, amazing form of not only worship for that individual, yeah. but worship for the whole congregation because they've seen somebody be redeemed by Christ's blood. And the communion, the Lord's Supper, is the same picture of that weekend and week out that we participate in it. And it's amazing. Um, and I do it, want to tell say
2: this real fast if you are a minister and you listen to this podcast, and I imagine most who listen to it are ministers, but take time to preach and teach this. Mm-hmm. Don't just assume that your people already understand this because the ones who don't understand it, they might get the basics of why we do the Lord's supper. They might get the basics of what baptism is, but just like we've unfolded in this conversation, it is dripping with the gospel and our people need to see and understand how deeply rooted. The gospel is in all of this, and as they see how deeply rooted the gospel is, it's only going to enrich their experience every time they see baptism, and every time they partake in the Lord's Supper, it's going to enrich their family's experience as they get to explain it to their children what the Lord's Supper is about. It's going to enrich that whole worship service as they be, as they understand deeper. It's going to enrich their worship time and singing. It's going to enrich their, their understanding of the gospel as the pastor preaches. It's going to enhance and enrich every single aspect of that time of gathering if they have a deeper and more clear understanding of what the Lord's Supper really is and how it unfolds the gospel through this act yeah. of taking the bread and
1: the wine. And I want to add to that, Daniel, I do want to just add this encouragement to anyone out there that may be pastor at a church or on staff at a church that can kind of speak into the way they practice this, is that if you're a member of a church that children come out of the sanctuary in some part of the service even if they're small children, I mean, even if they're, you know, third and fourth grade or whatever the case may be, and they're coming out of the sanctuary. Do when you practice Lord's Supper, when you practice communion, do it before they leave the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It is significant that the church be presenting this to the children of the church and allowing the parents the opportunity to teach their children what this means. So and then that's why that's why I have this issue with the way that we hold communion so often is that we make it so reverent that nobody can speak during it. It's nothing but silence. You can hear a pin drop. Oh, how wonderful would it be if what you actually heard was family sitting together and the parent, the father actually teaching their child, their son or their daughter, that this is Jesus's blood. And this is Jesus's body. This is what he did so that you can come to him in salvation. And I pray that he would do this for you soon in your life. How wonderful would that be to hear your congregation say that? And so we're not going to end with the plug of the week this week. We just want to end with an encouragement that, like Daniel said, teach this to your congregation, teach these two principles to your congregation. And then lastly, what I would encourage you is when you practice these things, don't tag them to your service. They're meant to be a part of worship. So make them a part of worship. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's baptism or if it's Lord's Supper, make it a part of the regular practice of your worship when you do these things. Um, And it will be a glorious and great thing for you and your congregation to do so. And maybe you're a church member out there and you're listening and you don't have any control over that. Bring it up to your pastor. Mention it to him. You know, have this conversation. I, I think it would be encouraged. That if you want to just talk to them about it and why you do the certain things you do in your church, I think they would enjoy that, yeah. uh, unless they're just a terrible pastor, and then they may not. So,
2: yeah, and just to defend the pastor there, um, because that's what we are, um, don't go to your pastor and berate him, yeah, because he's not doing it the way that you think he should be doing it, or because he's not doing it the way that we're talking about it right now. Go to him and have a conversation, ask him, yeah. Pastor. I noticed that we only do the Lord's Supper X number of times a year. Can you explain to me why we do it this Mm -hmm. seldom or this often? Can you help me understand? Do you think that there might come a time where we could do it more often? Have a give and take conversation. Don't come in there wagging your finger at them because I know that that pastor is just as human as I am. And anytime Mm -hmm. somebody comes wagging a finger at me, I'm just saying, but most of the time, when they're wagging their finger, the last thing I want to do is hear what you have to say to me. And, and that's what, because I'm human, <laughs> but yeah. and that's not, that doesn't mean I'm right because I'm d- acting yeah. that way. But come with grace and mercy because that's what the pastor's trying to do every day with his congregation is to present himself and to approach his people with grace and mercy. So do the same for him.
1: Well, I would almost venture to say that most pastors out there, not all, most would like to practice it more often than the church does. And so if you come to that conversation gracefully, like Daniel's saying, I think you would be greatly surprised of how yeah. edifying it would be for both you and your pastor. Yeah, it would be both of you. And also would probably be beneficial for the church for somebody else to mention it rather than just the pastor, because yeah. then somebody else wondering why we do this as a church. Right. And so Daniel, do you have anything to say before we jump off this episode? Man,
2: I just think that that's that's uh Great episode, you know, sometimes coming into the, and I know it's been a while since I've been able to join you guys, but coming into these episodes, sometimes you wonder what type of conversation is going to unfold. Is it going to be boring? But as we really begin to expound on it and talk more about it, man, it's just amazing how God begins to work through this conversation that we have right here um, and really help us get excited about Mm -hmm. these basic, simple truths of, of the church Um, And of his plan for us and how we live our daily lives. And so, uh, man, it just, I'm ready to take the Lord's Supper, bro.
1: (laughs) I agree. I agree. Um, And as I transition into youth ministry and as Daniel does youth ministry, I'll end with saying, don't take communion when you go to some random camp. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I joke. I joke. I'm being serious, but I'm just using it as a jest. But anyway. This has been another episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast, and we are a podcast where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry.
0: We'd like to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast, where we seek to provide quality content, first through our full-length episodes that release every first and third Monday of the month, and second through the Minister's Minute. These are short 10-15 to minute episodes that release every second and fourth Monday of the month, in which one of our co-hosts will seek to answer a specific question related to everyday ministry. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe and rate the podcast through the podcast catcher of your choice. We can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and YouTube. Today we pray peace and grace for you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And happy ministry.